Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Target from the 1995 album Red Medicine is Travis Shettle, undoubtedly best known to you as the frontman of Piebald. Travis, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Very excited to have you on the show, and I'd like to say right off the bat, thank you to the folks uh, in the podcast Blotto Beatles for getting us in touch. You were on that podcast uh, talking about And Your Bird Can Sing. Great episode. Yes. Wonderful guitar minis. Yes, guitar minis. I'll drink some tea to that. <laughs> this podcast that you're on right now isn't quite as fun as those guys usually, but you know, if you, I can tell you to take a shot every once in a while, yeah. it'll make this a better experience for you. No, it won't. So I'm, <laughs> I'm all set with my tea over here right now. Um, but yeah, it was it was cool to hear that, and I must say, I was I was a little bit starstruck even to uh, hear them on that episode uh, talk about me in front of you because I, you know, I was really like there was a time when um, I was listening to the song "Just a Simple Plan" multiple times a day, every day. Uh, oh. I, that song got into me like a drug among others well, thanks we, we tried to make some earworms you know oh yeah you guys really succeeded and i see you know piebald is back in action this year right yeah we still we it's since 2016 we've been playing at, at least a couple shows every year and this past year we got together early or not this past year earlier this year we got together and we even made some some demos of new songs which we haven't done in a while and that was exciting yeah that's wonderful <laughs> i saw that you played it yeah. Furnace Fest uh, with yeah. uh, the band Luxury was playing on there. A friend of the show, Chris Foley, is in that band. I don't know if you crossed paths. I think you were playing on different days. Uh, yeah, we played Sunday, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we played Sunday. Yeah, that was a really fun weekend because then we had a, a show with Thursday and then we played a headlining show in Orlando also. Yeah. And that was it, fun. It's, it's really cool to look up sort of like videos from the past few years of you guys and I'm sure, like, it didn't seem like back, you know, circa 2000 or so, you didn't seem like the kind of band that would be, you know, 20 years later playing and, and people would be coming back, like, reliving those good times and just, like, singing their hearts out to uh, to your songs. But that's, like, that's totally the vibe of, of recent videos of you. And it's, like, it seems like so much fun. So uh, I, I'm really, like, I would need to go see Piebald at some point. It's it has been really fun. Yeah, we have some Christmas shows coming up, or right before Christmas. Um, we don't get to DC, but we play Philly and Boston, and uh, I think there's a New Hampshire show and a Western Mass show, Connecticut. So yeah. beautiful. Um, yep. So the first thing I like to ask all my guests here is, you know, tell me a little bit about your relationship with Fugazi as a fan and how you first got into them, if you could. Let's see. I, uh, um, I, I mean, it had to be in high school or, or probably late middle school, actually, with, with like when you when I started skateboarding and you hanging out with other skateboarders, you just sort of, I guess, traded music like you did any click of humans. But our music trades, I think, really defined our lives and stuff. But uh, I would say with skateboarding and you know, we had a radio station called WFNX, and they were actually like an alternative radio station. They would play Elvis Costello, and they would play... I remember hearing Bob Marley on there 
I'm thinking that was pretty interesting. But they would also play The Clash and The Pixies and all sorts of, I don't know, left-of-the-dial music at, in the late 80s and 90s. And it was a really refreshing. And I, I don't think I heard, remember specifically hearing Fugazi on there, but I feel like WFNX probably introduced me to things that also introduced me to Fugazi. But I think the first thing I ever heard was Repeater, and it blew me away. I remember, I think I was in a, my friend Todd Collins' car with his brother, and he put on Repeater, and I think we listened to it twice straight. And uh, I remember thinking it, it was really special to me. <laughs> yeah, me too. And and as a sort of as an amateur <laughs> musician for my entire life, Repeater is definitely one of those records that influenced me. I imagine they influenced you in some ways too. Yes, yeah, Fugazi. I I think absolutely influenced me. I like all of their records. I think they're incredibly creative. It, it's it's angry, but it's melodic. It's creative. The guitar playing is interesting. The bass lines are unique. The drumming is awesome. Two vocalists who are very different. It's like, I don't know. It's yeah. a very creative project. Very creative band. Yeah, totally. That the difference in vocalists is so... Like, there are some bands with more than one vocalist that you're like, what, which, which person is singing right now? And that's never a question with Fugazi. No. I love that. No, yeah. So... The the record that we're really focusing on today, Red Medicine, um, I, I think you were saying that's that's one of your favorites or your favorite possibly? Yeah, it's my favorite record. It came out when I was in high school and that was about the time when I saw them too. I saw them two days in a row uh, up in New England. I, I, one was Rhode Island and then one, I can't remember, it was some gymnasium somewhere in Mass, but I'm not recalling where. And I want to say that that was 1995. Hmm. Um, yeah. Have you ever checked out the Fugazi Live Series website? I haven't. I feel like I would be so overwhelmed by it, but I bet it's awesome. <laughs> it is. It's like it's one of those great things that you can find the shows that you went to and, and actually relive them in a lot of uh, in a lot of cases. They have almost all of them. I feel like actually posted up, and you can listen to the recording. So it's a beautiful resource for a for a nerdy fan like me. Okay, yeah, maybe I'll try to go back and find. I think I could, you know, if I just searched their tour dates, I bet I'd be like, those were the two shows. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, and... But, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say we were talking about Red Medicine. I don't know, I guess, I, I think it hit me at the right time because that, this album came out and I physically purchased it like the, a day or two after it came out. I remember thinking that I wanted to get it and hearing about it before it was going to come out. And it was the first, I think, Fugazi album that I, that I was, I was a fan of before it came out. Does that make sense? So I was excited about it coming, (laughs) coming out. And then it was just a really great record. Do you remember how you responded to like the way the record begins with this crazy, awful sounding, like screeching thing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, Oh boy, I hope they didn't uh, record the whole thing like this. But then you realize it's kind of like, part of the thematic structure of what's happening throughout the whole record i guess you know right yeah as you said before very creative uh and i think on red medicine they started to get creative in more ways than just the way they composed their parts they played on their instruments they they just started getting very sonically interesting yeah it's like their psych record which sounds weird but like it's where they they kind of like we're like all right we can do this straightforward creative punk stuff but let's like let's go more 
further off the board and put weird sounds in and more unique like single note guitar parts that there's one in target <laughs> you know like stuff like that that wasn't as prevalent in previous releases yeah that's true let's just jump into target then since you bring it up i i think there's probably a lot to say about this maybe some stuff you relate to directly but uh by way of introduction I'll say that this is, in terms of their live career, it's one of the most played songs uh, from Red Medicine. Its live debut seems to be at the Belo Horizonte Independent Music Festival, which was their first ever show in Brazil in uh, August of 1994. Uh, wow. Yeah. So uh, starting then, they it became sort of a sort of a mainstay. I don't I don't know if you had some initial thoughts about it. Like I. I recently came across some comments that Guy made about this song that are pretty revealing, but uh, did you have, before we jumped into that and maybe give away some of the secret sauce, like, did you did you have some connections with this song, some some notions that you're bringing to the table uh, beforehand? Uh, I'm going to say with the guitar playing and the song structure, yes. With the lyrics, no, and here's why. I didn't know even half of them until I read them today. <laughs> Right on. So, but that often happens with me. I I need to be just. I might not know the lyrics, but I you can get me with a harmony that I don't need to remember the lyrics. You know what I mean? If it's yeah, I can be sucked in by other things. And clearly, I did not know the words, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like I went for a long time not knowing at least all of the lyrics uh, to this one. Also, I love. That out of the gate, he the the line about hate he hates the sound of guitars because I think that is something every I don't know dude in a band or person in a band has felt at some point. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I've uh, yeah, just coming home from a practice, being like, yeah, you're like, shut the radio off, please now. <laughs> yeah, or like I need I just need to listen to some Mozart or something yes. like something completely different if I'm listening to anything at all just no guitars yeah well in that case um since you don't have a lot of preconceptions about the lyrics uh, I will I'll reveal this thing um this comes from an interview with Guy in the zine called Control uh, which is run by friend of the show Cole Pepper Cole was kind enough to send me a copy of this and uh, give me permission to quote uh, what Guy has to say about Target. He specifically asked Guy about this song. So here's what Guy says. Target was written during a time when the underground scene was suddenly being pillaged and dismantled by corporate interests. A scene that had built itself up through hard work and internal loyalty was really kneecapped by this sudden infusion of money speculation from major labels. That is not to say that there wasn't opportunism and shady bullshit going on with some of the independent labels as well, but there was a seismic shift in terms of what the conversations were about at that time. Suddenly everything was about deals, and it felt really destabilizing and alienating, as well as 100 times less interesting. The line, if you want to seize the sound, you don't need a reservation, meant to me that you didn't need to solicit permission from corporate gatekeepers in order to put your voice out there and make a difference. And while it is true that modern technology has in some ways made it easier for people to record and distribute their music, I don't think the fundamental critique of the song is without relevance today. The business models of Spotify and other streaming services, for example, are still hugely exploitative. It's much harder now to build a fully independent platform because of the way the internet works and who benefits from the way it is set up. 
The language of marketing and branding is so ubiquitous now, it doesn't even raise comment anymore. It's just seen as the way of the world. I hold on to the concept that the exchange of ideas and inspiration has meaning outside and beyond the market. End quote. That's heavy. Yeah. So there's a real mouthful that's a, a sort of treasure trove of meaning, which is something you don't always get with Guy Pichotto's uh, songs. Sometimes they're... I don't think I could describe any piebald song like that. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. He gave a report right there. Yeah. I mean, do you relate to, to some of that as, as a person yeah. in a famous band? I remember, hey, I'm a B-grade or C-grade celebrity at best. Let's not... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I've heard anyway. of you. Okay. All right. That's why we're doing this podcast, I suppose, right? Yeah, totally. All right. So what was the question here? Well, Back to just, the question. I, I guess just um, you you are in, I mean, it sounds like um, at least some of this is sort of talking directly about grunge, um, and, and you, you aren't really that, but you sort of came up around that time. I think you... You were the sort of successor generation to what yeah, Fugazi we was doing. Yeah, we were yeah. kind of after that. But yeah. That was the inspiration. I mean, when I turned 13, Nirvana's Nevermind came out and Tribe Called Quest Low and Theory on the same day, and all bets were off after that. You know, right. like that just blew everything out of the water. But uh, yeah, I do remember, though, we had our own time of this. I would call it the same thing. And it was in like 2000. One and two, and I remember people were getting the million dollar record deals, and you would hear like, "Oh, this band got the mil- a million dollar." You're like, "What? Yeah, that that happened." And so it did. It changed changes the face of music for you when you put a million dollars in front of anything. It's a different thing. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure also that there are bands, there were bands who sort of set out with kind of a fugazi mindset like we just do this because we love it we love the music but once somebody waves a million dollars in front of you maybe that changes like not everyone can resist that sort of thing yeah and uh like his geese talk about sort of you it, it would be really hard to do build your own platform now i think is very true you know it's i i can't imagine i can't think of another thing that's like a a discord I mean, there's a merge. There's, I don't know. Discord just seems different to me somehow. But yeah. anyway, continue. I, well, I I also had heard recently, and um, you know, I'm, I'm probably about your age, and I know next to nothing about TikTok. I've I've sort of consciously uh, determined for myself this is something I shouldn't even get into. Like, I feel like I'm too old. That's that's for the kids. I'll leave it to them. So I don't know a lot about it. But I had heard recently that uh, apparently for like artists who are trying to be in the game now, TikTok numbers are a hugely important metric. And like, you have to have success on that platform. Yeah, that is interesting to me. But I guess with all new, yeah, it just seems weird that you have to have success in that platform to equal success in the real world. Yeah. You know, here there, I think there, here's a difference that, you know, in, in the 90s and I guess the early 2000s, you got in the van and you went on tour so people would hear about your band. Right. And now the only reason you'd go on tour is because people have already heard about your band. Yeah. It's like the opposite. You went on tour to promote your band and now it's 
you you would go on tour because anybody because enough people express interest almost. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if anybody goes to shows anymore, <laughs> like and sees bands they don't know anything about. I would think no matter what, there is there is always a scene of that that is that does exist, whether we really know about it or not. It may be smaller or bigger than when we were kind of going through it, but like that must still be there. Yeah, at least in terms of like opening acts on the bill. Um, yeah, getting scene. exposure. Yeah, that happened to me pretty recently. I went to see Dinosaur Junior and Screaming Females opened, and I had never heard of them, and they were amazing. Shout out to Screaming that's, Females. That's always nice when you see an opening band and they're yeah. really good, and you've never heard of them before. I think the lines "We could be making it oiling like crime," "We could be making it staking last dimes," kind of interesting. Like, I wonder if that's referring to Fugazi being like, "Yeah, we could we could sell out and and have a huge payday." I don't know if that's exactly what he's saying there, but it's what comes to mind. Yeah, it does kind of sound like that. It's kind of like a... Yeah, I, I didn't really think about it like that. That almost makes it seem like a hip-hop lyric. <laughs> <laughs> well, it brings to mind, there's this story, I don't know if you had heard it, but uh, when Fugazi played uh, New York City, I think in 93, uh, there's a story about the the president of Atlantic Ahmed Erdogan sort of coming mm-hmm. backstage to meet them. And I think some people have said like, oh, you know, he came in with a briefcase full of cash. I don't think that actually happened, but sort of like metaphorically, I think he was sort of uh, courting them and, uh, and trying to entice them with the prospect of a major label deal, which they they sort of made it clear they weren't interested in that. So brings to mind that story. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. You know, Fugazi and, and Discord are something that they're just it's not corruptible and that's the beauty of it yeah you know or that's one of the beauties of it <laughs> it is yeah they've they they held out <laughs> and yeah to... you yeah you can't corrupt you can't corrupt discord it, no. it, it's like it, but that's the there's nothing i think that's why it's so special yeah there isn't anything else like it i, I like how uh the song starts out sort of like setting a scene in talking about physical sensation and the weather you know it's cold my hands are dry skin is cracked and like that's the way Guy sets the scene for uh talking about what's on his mind in this song he's like uh just he hates the sound of guitars this this like new wave of money yeah uh and and this why maybe why i think he's talking about grunge in in particular is because he says the word grudging which sounds a lot like it so maybe that's Maybe that's not yeah. quite right, um, but a thousand grudging young millionaires. Yeah, it, you know it brings to mind also uh, what I had heard. Of course, some some bands really did, I guess, see a lot of money, but I, as I understand it, a lot of bands really got screwed. Um, yes, I think that's also true. Yeah, they, you know, you you get wooed by the 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 magic and glitz and glamour, I guess, and then it's maybe not quite what you thought it was or you owe the label money you know things like that happen yeah um friend of the podcast steve albini wrote a really memorable article i wouldn't be surprised if you had read that i have yeah it's it's, sort of describes the plight of uh in really stark terms of musicians who get signed and then the labels like not so hot on what they've recorded and they don't let them release anything they can't get out of their contract and it's just a terrible situation they don't end up making any money yeah so i i wouldn't be surprised if that sort of thing plays a role in in what he's saying in this song also yeah 
A lyric that also grabbed my attention is, this is the darkening down of my mind. Like, that's so interestingly phrased. And it, it made me cert. I was like, I wanted to Google that specific, the darkening down of something. Because it, it almost seems like a reference, like the darkening yeah. down of America or something. But as far as I can tell, it's not. And he just made that up. But it's it's very memorably phrased. Yeah. And what do you think he means by that? The darkening down of my mind? Is that like the, it makes him sad? <clears throat> I Like, I think so. Darkening <laughs> down of my mind dimming the lights of of optimism or something yeah um, that sounds possible uh, dimming the lights of op- yeah darkening down of my mind yeah you, yeah you that's not a term often heard or said or written but the you know dark versus light comes back a little in the next stanza you know he talks about the metaphorical torch is passed it's yours to return lay at their feet now use it to burn uh etc so he's in that way, I think he's, he's sort of directly talking to, you know, like you, Travis, and, and your peers. Like, it's like, hey, you guys, you know, you take this torch and run with it. Uh, you do some shit now. Uh, yeah. And uh, it also, in that stanza, the, the phrase comes up, uh, use it to burn for marketing the use of the word generation. Yeah, and, that's uh, an interesting line. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, something that came up on the, the website Genius is this is probably a reference to Pepsi. Uh, do you remember the choice of a new generation? Yes. This yep. huge multi-year marketing campaign that Pepsi did. Um, and I, I, I do agree that it's pretty likely a reference to that, just sort of like trying to try trying to really capture the spirit of the early 90s uh and uh use all these like stars in their ads and just try to be really cool but you know basically to sell sugar water to kids um and like to 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 the real to the people with real money in the game that's the that's the ultimate way in which rock music is a commodity it's like you know a band is useful to the people on top because they can be used to sell soda yeah that's very True, I guess. Sell anything, really. Like, oh, look at these cool dudes rocking out on a stage in front of a big Coca-Cola banner, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to drink a Coca-Cola. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's, of course, it, it was interesting in the 90s. I, I mean, I just, I vividly remember that as being a decade of, like, people having really big opinions on bands selling out. Um, and, of course, Fugazi is in the middle of that conversation but then after that i feel like in the 2000s maybe when records got a lot harder to sell people were much easier on bands you know putting a song in a commercial or something like people seem to have no real problem with that anymore that is true it doesn't have the same stigma i suppose i if i suppose if you were the type of band that really touted that you were you know anti-capitalist or or didn't want to be a part of that and then you did it you'd probably get some some uh blowback but i feel like yeah just having a song that you've already written be used and you make a little bit money because it's in a car commercial like yeah (laughs) you don't get called a sellout for that anymore um yeah like piebald you guys started out as sort of like more hardcore and then uh, that you started sort of making more earworms is that fair to say like did did people yeah we were ever... definitely a hard we were a hardcore band at first like, yeah you know we we were 
the bands we were playing with and loved the most were Converge and Cave In and yeah. all those hardcore bands that were touring at that time. There was a place called the Red Barn. But yeah, we, we definitely started as like a it's like a screamo hardcore band. Did you ha- did you ever have any fans like just on the basis of how your sound was evolving go up to you and be and accuse you of being sellouts or something? Um, I don't think I have had that one happen, but people have said that they don't like our new music as much as our old music. Like I've heard that. I, I suppose it's a similar thing, but it's a nicer way of saying it. Uh, but it's also selling out has, you know, uh, multiple connotations, right? Because it's sort of like you can be, you can be bought, right? You, you like you, and it, but it means that you can be corrupted and you can, you know, your, your product. It's weird. Yeah. But yeah, no one's ever been like, you're a sellout to me. <laughs> I definitely remember just having those conversations in the 90s and, and people assuming that when a band's sound is changing, it's because they, I guess the assumption is they want to be more radio friendly and more commercial and, and that's a way to make more money. Um, but I think, right. for, I think for a lot of people, you know, if the band's sound changes, it's just more what you're into. Yeah, or what the band was into or... or... Yeah just where they felt like going on their musical adventure, you know, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I ultimately, I really appreciate the sentiment in the lines. If you want to seize the sound, you don't need a reservation. Like that's even, yeah, if, that's a, even if Guy hadn't said that explicitly, that's the ultimate message I always got from Fugazi is just like, yeah, do you just, just do it. Just do the thing you're passionate about. And you know, uh, you, you might not end up being a millionaire, but, You'll have a good time. You'll you'll reach some people. Yep, you will create something and and meet people and play fun shows and probably travel around and make make friends and yeah, it's a it's an entire community that is based around music that exists yeah. and and yeah, you know you can. There's a lot of benefits to that and, and beauty in it. Yeah, they they were they're inspirational. They yeah. really are. It's uh, <laughs> they're a magical band and they're they just did it on their own and you're like you guys win you're a great band and you just created the whole ethos of yourselves by yourselves awesome. <laughs> yeah and finally the the last lyric here that sort of captures my imagination i can smell your heart yeah i love that line that's so fascinating i can see that really two different ways like actually is Guy talking to like the younger musicians and he's like yeah i i understand how you're feeling um, but I can also see him sort of like taking the role of like, I don't know, a label owner and like is, as a way of saying, I, I can smell blood in the water. Like, um, yeah, I think he's given them a warning. I think he's like, kids, be careful because you're young. Like I, I can smell your heart. I can smell your youth. Yeah. I can smell that you're weak. So be careful. <laughs> you're yeah. a target. He's t- saying you're a target. So, yeah. Uh, and yeah, you like, you're, your desire, your um, passion for music is in some ways a vulnerability. Like, don't let people take advantage of that. Yeah, be careful with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, those are a bunch of thoughts on the lyrics, but you said you had some thoughts on the music. Like, what's the first thing you want to talk about, musically speaking? That ripping part in the middle where it's not even really a guitar part. And it's just like harmonics, but they're so it's so loud. It's awesome. Yeah, or after the quietest part of the song you're talking about? Yeah. It's just gross harmonics, but it's 
it's so loud. It's not even a part. It's like an anti-part. Yeah. But it's my favorite part. <laughs> Guy is so good at that. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. And they put it like, they really rode, you know, they put it up in the red. That guitar is louder than anything else, but I think it serves a purpose. It's like, there's a song going on underneath this, but this really sharp, hitting, uh, like, strange guitar is at the forefront. Yeah, and, and it's funny that it comes in a song where Guy says, I hate the sound of guitars, and then he's like, I'm going to make the... The, yeah, the ugliest sort of wildest, yep. uh, but but most awesome guitar sound that I can. Yes, yeah, I love that. that I love that part of the song. Every time I'm like, oh, it's so good. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it reminds me a little of what he does in the song Reprovisional. He uh, he has sort of like there's a breakdown where he's doing nasty squealing guitar harmonic stuff. Uh huh. Yes, I think I remember that. They have a lot of songs. Oh, they do. I'm going through them all, baby. Almost 100. Yeah, T. T. You're at T. I guess you're more than half the way there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like the the way it starts out. You know, we've got Brendan doing some like hi-hat and rim hit stuff. Yeah. But there's also some clapping going on. And if you see, if you watch videos of them doing this live or if you ever saw them do it, uh, often uh, Ian or sometimes like everybody in the band would start by like all clapping in unison, getting the audience to clap. Uh, and then after that goes on for a little while, they they go into the yeah yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. uh it's Ian and Joe playing like yeah. sort of the same thing in unison on guitar and bass. There, something that I didn't notice until I re-listened to this loud on good headphones, like about eighteen nineteen seconds into the song. There's some studio chatter. Uh, it's sort of inaudible. I think it's impossible to tell what's being said, but. It's a little uh, nugget for That's the, weird. for the fans. That's interesting. Yeah, it was, I I thought somebody was like calling me in the house or something. Is, is that sort of thing where you're like, what? What was that? But no, it's on the recording. But yeah, and as we alluded to, lots of good dynamics in this song. There's like, there's that intro. Then there's the little build up. And then that cool guitar noodle thing. Yeah, that's right, so- that. Well, there's sort of like that simple guitar underneath that's just going and then the other one that does the like lead line but it's a pretty cool little lead line i really like it yeah and based on watching them live it's ian who's doing the simple little rhythm thing Guy's doing that lead part um, although on the record it seems to be double tracked like it sounds to me like there's a sort of loud cleanish guitar and then there's a little bit lower in volume guitar that's like a little bit fuzzed out and they're playing the same thing. Yeah, I can see a little studio trick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> little little studio English that they're doing there. Yes. And yeah, you you mentioned the, I always think of it as the little siren sounding break they do after after the, the line reservation. Oh yeah, there's some really cool drum fills in that part every time too. It has some nice drum fills through the whole song, man. The drum fills are fantastic. They're tasty. Those are tasty drum fills. Oh, they're so tasty. Do you have any experience uh, as a drummer? No, not really. I mean, I if when I do make drums to make a demo of something, I. I do. Uh, I have a drum machine, and I do. A, I play the top half, and then I put the kick drum on it. So it. that's not what I would call a drummer, <laughs> but I can, I can make something happen. Yeah, dude. Uh, getting all your limbs to operate independently is tricky. Yeah, I don't work like that. I don't think. 
Yeah, I, I, I've never been a drummer, and sometimes I feel in this podcast I worry that I might be under praising Brendan Canty. But this song, I just gotta say, drums are fantastic. I imagine that this is one of the songs that he had a lot of fun playing live. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, good. There's like, there's like three really cool drum fills too. It's not like there's one. There's like a, he throws in a couple, and I think they're all in that sireny part. The be doo dee doo dee doo dee doo. Something that really grabbed me on re-listening to this is sort of right near the end when Guy is singing about you're a target. There are these really interesting descending chords that they're doing. I think mainly Ian is doing it. Um, it's like do, 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 do. And something that you know keeps coming back to my mind, but that that's really been drilled into me as I've been doing this podcast, re-listening to all the songs, is how a lot of times the guitars are a lot cleaner than I remember. Target is such a, it's a cool, hard-hitting, aggressive song, and maybe in my mind it's like, there are these really just distorted guitars, but it's not as much as you'd think, and that's why like you can hear these chords coming through, and that's that's what allows the, the creativity to like really shine, I think. You can hear all the dynamics, all the weird, interesting little intervals they're playing. Yeah, it's, it's like, um, it's, it's still heavy, yeah. And it has aggression, but it's not just from distortion. It's from dynamics and, you know, good tones. And yeah, you're right. It's, it's not, they're not as distorted as you would think. They're, they're like, they can be loud and aggressive, but they also, I don't know. There's like a, you, you're right. You hear all the nuances. You hear the little things that make it more special almost. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, of course, the the stuff Ian does when things get quiet, just that just wouldn't be possible if if it was like super gain to ten. It's clean enough that he can play lightly and roll the volume down a little bit on his guitar, and it just it sounds just like do 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 do. So yeah, I'll, there's a lot to learn from Fugazi as a musician, and I wish I had, I, I agree. I wish I had paid closer attention when I was younger, but better late than never. True, and you know it's. It's hard to 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 see what your what the best things to focus on are at all times, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, I I think that as you get broader perspective, like especially just listening to the whole band rather than just you know uh, egotistically listening to what you're doing, and I think that's something Fugazi always did. They're like, all right, very conscious yeah. of of how the whole thing sounds. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I feel like they're a good teacher for two like double guitar bands where you're like when you want to i don't know make sure that they both are are really adding to the song and parts fugazi knows how to use two guitars yeah two guitars two singers two drummers near the end they were good at all that stuff (laughs) speaking of which that really brings us to the next thing i wanted to ask you which is about ratings and with every one of these episodes, I ask my guest if you could think about all the Fugazi songs there are and put them into context. Where does Target fall in that? Could you give it a rating from one to five stars in terms of only Fugazi songs? Oh, only Fugazi songs. That's right. Okay, so, so the uh, scale is based on Fugazi. It's yeah. the Fugazi scale. If you assume there has to be there have to be one star Fugazi songs out there, 
which is like I know a mind bending concept at first for me. But uh, yeah, that's the scale. Yeah, that how does that happen? Where's the one star song? <laughs> I mean, I would give this one a three point five. 3.5 cuz it's not quite it's a small scale here. So it's a really good song, but it's not their best song. But it's not even close to their worst song. I agree. I was I was thinking along similar lines. I think I settled on a, a 4 star. I think we're we're If you had made me round, I would have gone up. I'm not going to make you round. You can get as granular as you want. <laughs> okay. We can, we can do decimals here. Well, yeah, um, you know, given that I'd like to go to the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook page where I asked listeners to comment on this and let me know what they think of the song. Uh, I'll read off some of those. Uh, Conan Neutron says, If I remember right, the intro to this was kind of hard to get down uh, in the instrument documentary. Brendan had to do a few takes because it was hard not to rush or something. I can't remember exactly, but it was very relatable for anybody in a band that records. Jens Acker says, One of my fave Gee songs, uh, fave Fugazi songs, full stop. The lyrics are genius throughout. A brilliant comment on the 90s alternative hype. Uh, ah, yeah. he knows the story. Yeah. And it's also really compassionate towards kids who fell for it. I can smell your heart. Josh Saunders says, one of their more popular ones and also of its time lyrically, mid-1990s taking a swipe at the grudging young millionaire guitar players uh, in the 1990s alternative rock explosion and A&R feast of the time. Probably one of Guy's more easy lyrics to examine. All seems pretty straight and clear about what he's talking about. And Thomas Harding says, I think Target is where Side 2 really begins to cook after a nice build-up with Bayou and Version. After that, the album doesn't really let up until the big finale on Long Distance Runner. Rob Virginio says, The point on Red Medicine where things kind of get back to normal. This song and Civ Fisted Find are songs that I wouldn't rank in my top 20 Fugazi songs, but would really hope they played live. I love it live. The hand claps at the beginning were always fun. Jared Coffin says, This is also one that I saw Guy play with his teeth at the Electric Factory in Philadelphia uh, at that subtle feedback chirp going into the second verse. I don't think I ever saw Guy play guitar with his teeth. That's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, I would like to see that. I never, definitely didn't see that. Bradford Goodwin says, I don't have a car or even a valid license, but this song makes me want to drive straight into a rainstorm just to watch the windshield wipers keep time to the guitars. Unlike the grudging young millionaires of the 90s, I'd take care not to crash and burn. First to record a dueling banjo cover version wins a free car wash and handmade fuzzy cricky dice. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> okay. Jenna LaFleur says, I think this one holds the record for a Fugazi song that has spent the longest amount of time stuck in my head. Red Medicine is a stacked album in general, but this song in particular stands out among the rest. And uh, Dustin Henry Courier says, For my birthday last year, a good pal recorded a cover of Target, and I have seldom felt more seen. <laughs> Kevin DeMars, in my first band in eighth grade, I played the song for my bandmates, hoping we could try to head in this direction, but it was too advanced. I was far too young to know at the time, but this might have been one of the types of things where younger bands were first doing can kind of parts, like in the verse. I love the newly introduced chord progression of the outro, Guy's closing ooh, and always thought he yelled shitar before the new noisy guitar part <laughs> midway through the song. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kevin pointed, I forgot to say, like, yeah, that's the very last scene that's... in the song. Guy's kind of like ooh, or woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does like one of those head voice things. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like a Michael Jackson like woo. It's it's like a more no. sing songy woo. Yeah, um, yeah, memorable. 
Final ones, uh, Sean Urban says, it was stuck in my head before I knew who wrote it, and when I went to my first Fugazi show, I thought it was a cover. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, well, a lot of people clearly like this song. Um, I can tell when people uh, leave more comments on a song. It's one they like. So, um, yeah, awesome. Good talking about Target. And now it's time for me to ask Travis Shuttle, do you have any plugs? Do you have any projects, stuff that's uh, coming out soon, come out recently, anything at all? Um, well, let's see. Pieball doesn't have any, any music coming out in the near future, but uh, we are playing some shows right before the holidays. If people are interested in that, they're all in the Northeast, so I want to say there's a Philly show and where else do we play connecticut western mass at pearl street um we're playing boston at the sinclair um but that's really all i have to promote hopefully people want to go to see those shows i know there's still tickets left so if people want to party before the holidays let's yeah, have some fun definitely i think this episode comes out on uh, december 4th um sweet so yeah probably still time to see some good piebald listen anyone out there who's never listened to piebald Go like look up a live video of them uh, playing, say, American Hearts in recent years, and like the entire audience singing along, and uh, and tell me you don't want to just go to that show. I think it'll be worth your while. Uh, hey, you could be part of it, right? You can. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Thanks so much for joining me, Travis. Really cool to talk to you. That's Travis Shettle, and for me, uh, you can always reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail and you can join the Facebook group that i mentioned earlier that's pretty much it i hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing the kill until then keep your eyes open <laughs>